as you know, we got people just still coming in, so I wanted to warm up with something, you know. Uh, a lot of times I like to liken our faith with fitness, okay, if you don't know that. Um, I'm a big, like, fitness nerd. Anyway, um, you know, you know how you have to stretch, right, before you get into, uh, or you should stretch, okay, before you get into, you know, uh, some kind of workout. Well, the same thing I, I want to kind of, like, pass off to you guys this morning. Um, there's something in uh, the book of Psalms that you'll find all throughout, and it's called, it's, it's this word to the right. If you never know what it is, I'll do a little explanation for you. But it's called Selah, okay? And that word, it's a very difficult translation, but the best thing that they can come up with is it, it's a break, or it's a, a rest or a pause, right? So as you're reading through the book of Psalms, you'll see that, and uh, something that was kind of uh, passed along to me, uh, we were at a conference, and they said, you know, when you see this word, it's a good thing for you to do is to take a pause, right? And they broke it down into an acronym. So this is what it is, and this morning I want to pass it off to you guys as we go into worship, as we, uh, you know, reorient our, our minds and our hearts as we transition into what we do here on Sunday mornings, the gathering. It's the full worship. It's not just music. It's what we do. So that S in Selah means stop, right? Because we live in a busy world. Anybody, like, who's got uh, fall break plans? A couple people, we're going on trips. We're just, we're always doing something. So uh, this morning, take a, a breath, right, and just stop. Uh, exhale is the next one, right? Just breathe. We get so busy, so worked up. Things We make plans for everything. So take a, a moment to just breathe. Uh, and then as we're worshiping, lean in, right? Lean in and listen to what God's got to say. It might be through what's uh, being sung this morning through worship, or it might be what, through the, uh, the word, just what's being preached, what you read on the screen. God's going to speak if you lean in. Uh, if you ask him to do that, that's the next letter, right? Because we got to be receptive. We want that to happen. We want to see what God's got planned for us. But the last thing is this. He'll speak, but you got to hear it, right? you got to be willing to hear what God's going to say. And so this morning, uh, take that breath, take that, that moment, that pause as we move into worship. And I, I, I want to pray for us. Go for it, man. All right, sweet. Father, uh, it is, it's a blessing. Sometimes we, we get here. I know for me, the transition in weather, I hate the cold. Uh, but this morning, help me... Uh, just know that you are the creator of all. So there's, there's got to be some good in that, right? Um, so, Father, we just pray this morning that we can focus in on you no matter what's happening this week, no matter what's happening today, uh, that we can lean in and uh, give you this time to say that you are God, that you uh, love us so much, and we're going to love you back in this way. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thanks, Kenny. Would you guys stand and worship with us as we orient ourselves towards God? separate even if I ran away your love never fails I know I still make mistakes but you have new mercies for me every day your love never fails
is strong and the water's deep I'm not alone here in these open seas Cause your love never fails The chasm is far too wide I never thought I'd reach the other side Cause your love never fails for my good you make all things work together for my good sing with me now you make all things work together for my good you say the same through ages you say the same through the ages your love never changes Joy comes in the morning And when the oceans rage I don't have to be afraid Because I know that you love me Your love never fails Your love never fails One more time Your love never fails. Amen. And we have some uh, exciting stuff coming up here. Welcome Katie Gaither. Good morning. I get so nervous coming up here, so I brought reinforcements today. So you guys just have a seat for just a second. I'm glad you're here. My name is Katie Gaither, and I am the community kids person here. So you can usually find me on the other side of the wall. Um, but today I'm really, really excited about why, why I'm up here and why these kids are up here. And since I have the microphone, I'm going to take just a minute to tell you guys the awesome things that we're celebrating um, back in Community Kids. Over the past year and a half, these are three of the many, many kids that have gone through the entire Jesus Storybook Bible, from Genesis to Revelation. And we are going to celebrate that because that means that these kids have heard a ton of Bible stories and gospel truth over the past year and a half. Um, just some really quick highlights. We are, we are averaging close to 100 kids back there each Sunday, birth through fifth grade. Um, several kids, including a couple up here, have, are taking their next steps um, following Jesus through baptism. You guys, kids are inviting their friends to church. They're praying at their lunch tables in their public schools. They're sharing their faith with their friends and their teachers. They're memorizing scripture, basically. They're just letting the gospel change them, and they're being obedient um, when that happens. And, of course, one main reason for this happening is because of the investment of our small group leaders and preschool teachers um, that are willing to show up and invest in these kids every Sunday. And we have more volunteers serving 
um, than we have ever had back there, ever. Um, and it won't take long to notice if you walk back there that we have more kids than we have ever had back there. It is really, really full in all the ways. It's so great. It's full and it's awesome. Um, so I just wanted to share all of those things um, that are happening. And our hope and my hope is to continue um, partnering with parents and families to invest in our kids and to um, just disciple our kids as a church family and as individual families. And so um, right after we get through celebrating the fact that we just went through the whole Bible, we're going to be starting something called New City Catechisms. And if you want, you can order this book on Amazon. It's probably like $2 or something or 10 I don't know. Just look on Amazon. And there's also an app that goes with it. So each week your kids will learn um, a catechism, which is basically just spiritual truth that is backed by um, scripture and the gospel. And so it's truth that they can learn now that will carry with them throughout their entire life. So new to city catechism, download the app, and we're going to start that in January. But today, these kids have been brave enough to come up here with me and share what God has taught them in the past year and a half through their small group leaders and through the Jesus Storybook Bible. So I'm just going to let them go one at a time and introduce themselves, and we're all a little nervous. So we got this. Okay, you ready? Okay, who are you? Molly. Molly, and what's your whole name? What's your whole last name? Molly Thurman. Molly Thurman, and what grade are you in? First grade. First grade, and we just went through the whole Jesus Storybook Bible, didn't we? Can you tell us out of the whole Bible what your favorite story was that we read? Five loaves and two fish. Five loaves and two fish. What did Jesus do with that? Um, he made more for everyone. He made more for everyone, didn't he? And do you, who gave him the five loaves and two fish? The, a little boy. A little boy. I didn't even tell her I was going to ask all those questions. So I just really put her on the spot. Good job. We love that story. And that is also Molly's favorite miracle that Jesus performed and her favorite story. Okay, and then I'm going to skip over here. Who are you? Jude Walker. Jude Walker, what grade are you in? Fifth. Fifth grade. And Jude is one of the kids who, um, I'm going to embarrass you, um, got baptized a couple weeks ago and just took that next step in faith too. And today he decided to come up here and share. Can you tell us what your favorite Bible story was? David and Goliath. Why? Because a small shepherd boy defeated a warrior with um, only a stone and Christ. That's amazing. A small shepherd boy defeated a giant person with Jesus and a little stone. Which, so that basically means we can do anything through the power of Christ, right? All right, Judah. Oh, man, I'm sorry. This is Judah. What grade are you in? Um, third. Third grade. And tell us your favorite Bible story. My favorite Bible story is um, Noah and the Ark. Why? It's because um, Noah... He lives in the desert, and God told him to build this big ark, and he didn't understand it. And he asked God to tell him more, and he said, well, there's going to be this big rain and this flood. And he said, okay. And then he started getting the materials and built this big ship, and everybody else said, well, while you're building this ship, we're in the desert. There, it never rains. He said, well, God told me to. And so he did, and then it rained 40 days and 40 nights, and it flooded the, her the whole earth. And... He had two by two animals on the boat and his family and God. And then after that, he told, he said that God said that he will never re um, flood the earth again. And what did he put in the sky? A rainbow. And why is that important to us? Because we never want to go through a flood ever. 
So, you guys, I just want to encourage you. If you see, ask these kids what they are learning, because they can tell you. And the the preschoolers are memorizing scripture, and they will challenge and encourage us. And Judah is actually going to close us out in prayer, and then we get to celebrate another baptism together. Thank you, God, for all these kids and families. Um, God, I hope you give these families a good hope and good um, families throughout their whole entire life. Um, God, I hope these kids can do amazing things and worship you and do everything that they can possibly do to worship you. And God, they, I hope they can um, do things for you and their family. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'm going to ask if you would to bring your attention down here. We're going to flip some lights on and um, ask you would uh, join me in welcoming Miss Andrea Amix, who is going to come and give her life to Christ today. Hey, I feel uh, I feel pretty encouraged about the future of the local church, huh? We're going to let them preach. No, I'm just kidding. But they've already preached to us. Amen. It's good. Today, uh, Andrea comes, and it's been my joy to get to know Andrea and her story, and uh, she attended 101 a little while ago, and as she got into telling her uh, spiritual story, she realized that, and she had never made this choice for herself, and, uh, and so today she comes to say that I've, I'm giving my life to Christ, I'm dying to myself, and uh, I want new life in Him, and so, Andrea, I'm going to ask if you would to repeat the confession of who you believe Jesus is. I believe. I believe that Jesus is the Christ. That Jesus is the Christ. The Son of the Living God. The Son of the Living God. And I trust Him. And I trust Him as my personal Lord and Savior. As my personal Lord and Savior. Amen. All right. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you sent your son Jesus so that we could have a personal relationship with the creator God of the universe. And God, we just celebrate with the angels today as Andrea gives her life to you and says, I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus. I know him. He is my Lord, my Savior. Father, we pray that uh, you would be with Andrea in these coming days that you would continue to grow her faith, that you would protect her from Satan's attacks. And God, we pray that you would continue to uh, just call each of us back to yourself, that our lives might be changed by your son Jesus day by day by day. And God, as we think about the change that you want to work in us, may that result in our worship today. May we sing even though we don't want to sing. May we lean in even though it feels hard to lean in. Give us faith. Give us faith that you are God, and you are real, and you want to change our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with us as we continue to sing?
song after a baptism and we've seen what happens when God opens our eyes and uh, opens our hearts. Set free, I've been set free. 
take our failure, you take our weakness, you set our treasure in jars of clay. So take this heart, Lord, I'll be your vessel, the world to see your life in me. guys we guys pray with me God we're so blessed that you that you sent your son to do something for us that we could not do for ourselves not only that we couldn't do for ourselves that we didn't deserve and um, and that the justice that you that you had to dole out was was poured out on your son and not on us because he sent himself thank you so much for that in your son's name we pray amen
All right, ALC, Loving Choice Pregnancy Center. We wanted to highlight them today, and um, that's one of their needs for peer counselors. Um, actually, in today, uh, I want to talk a little bit more about this, but if you'll pull up the event in the Bible app, there's a link. There's another way maybe you or your community group can engage with them. Uh, they're getting ready to start some parenting classes. They'll start October 16th, which is Tuesday, and they continue for the next uh, seven Tuesdays. And they need uh, folks who are willing to help uh, bring dinner in for those families. And in, in the Bible app, there's a link to the Take Them a Meal sign-up for that class. Um, and so there's details uh, in there on that. And uh, I'd love it, man, if we could, uh, maybe some of us as individuals, as families, community groups here at Christ Community could, could engage and serve ALC in that way. But we also want to remind you and make sure that we're talking about the fact that ALC is one of our uh, partners that we give to on a monthly basis. And uh, when you give uh, to Christ Community, when you give to God here at Christ Community, uh, those, that's one of the partners that we support. And so uh, if you want to give today, we, we keep cans in the back. You can do that. You can give online, um, loveshowville.com slash give. So we want to make sure that you guys knew that. And then um, as I've been doing the last couple weeks until everybody uh, can get in the habit, uh, or maybe you're not a phone person at all, but we give you permission in this moment to take out your phone. It's great. Um, so if you, uh, we're in the Bible app, as it says, you can follow along, take notes. Uh, sermon notes are in there, all kinds of links for ways to take next steps, get in a community group, um, come to 101, those types of things. You can download the latest version of the Bible app. If, if you're in it, you can go to more and then events and then Christ Community should pop up, all right? So we're excited, and we, can hope that, we hope that you'll uh, get that out and follow along with us this morning. I want to read our passage for today, and then uh, just pray for our time in the Word, all right? Mark chapter 12, Mark chapter 12, verses 13 through 27. If you don't have that pulled up quite yet, I don't blame you. you can follow along on the screen here. It says, Then they sent some of the Pharisees and the Herodians to Jesus to trap him in his words. And when they came, they said to him, Teacher, we know you are truthful and don't care what anyone thinks, nor do you show partiality, but teach the way of God truthfully. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why are you testing me? Bring me a denarius to look at. And they brought a coin. Whose image and inscription is this, he asked them. Caesar's, they replied. And Jesus told them, give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they were utterly amazed at him. Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him and, and questioned him. Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, leaving a wife behind but no child, that man should take the wife and raise up offspring for his brother. Well, there were seven brothers. The first married a woman and dying left no offspring. The second also took her, and he died, leaving no offspring. The third likewise. None of the seven left offspring. Last of all, the woman died too. In the resurrection, when they rise, whose wife will she be since the seven had married her? And Jesus spoke to them. Isn't this the reason why you're mistaken? You don't know the scriptures or the power of God. For when they rise from the dead, they neither, neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the dead being raised, haven't you read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the burning bush, how God said to him, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are badly mistaken. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, uh, 
We just pray that uh, as we open your word, God, we pray that you would speak to us through your word, that the Holy Spirit would come and help us to understand, to hear. Father, we pray that uh, we would think not only about how you want to change us and what you're calling us to, but we also pray, God, that you would give us a vision for how we might join you in the mission of the church outside of these walls, to go to make disciples, to love God, to love people, to love our community in real and tangible ways, God. Open our eyes to how we might do that, to how we might have conversations that lead to action and change, not only in us, but in others, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. February 26, 2015. Anybody know why that date is significant in history? February 26, 2015. It is the day that the dress broke the internet. Anybody remember this? It's coming back to you now? February 26, 2015, there was a picture posted of a dress. The dress was black and blue. Or was it? Right? The dress was black and blue, um, but some began to say, no, 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 the dress is gold and white. And um, 32 million some emails later, the guy who originally posted it realized he had uh, gotten himself into something. Just for the record, uh, it has been confirmed. The company that made the dress said the dress was black and blue. There were no white and gold dresses in production when they posted that picture, but you better believe that they made some white and gold ones after that. <laughs> so sales of the dress definitely went up. But uh, man, that was such an interesting phenomenon that this one picture, uh, man, so quickly drew sides. And people had such a high and strong opinion about whether the dress was black and blue or gold and white. And uh, it's just that reminder that in today's day and age, I don't know what it is, but people will pick fights over just about anything. If we're going to argue about a picture on the internet, which people did, man, what? I mean, there's, that nothing is off limits. But there's a hidden side effect to arguing about anything and to being um, maybe a little bit hostile towards anything. And that it's often that when we pick fights over anything, it makes us numb to everything. All of a sudden, we begin to treat more difficult conversations or arguments that maybe have a little bit more tension in them, similarly to the way that we did the dress. It's fun for a weekend or for a week, and then we just kind of forget about it and walk away. We get so focused on winning the debate at hand that we actually use less logic. There's research that supports that that's what we do. So what does that have to do with anything that we're reading in this passage? Well, as we come to this passage today, uh, there's kind of two uh, instances, and in these instances, we see Jesus um, doing something that I think many of us fail to do, and that's maintain his integrity in the face of uh, what could be a heated debate that's trying to trap us in our words. And so I want us to think about these two instances. We're going to kind of parallel through them for a little bit this morning and think about what they mean for our lives and for us. And so first we see the, the Pharisees and, and the Herodians, right? It says right there at the beginning of the passage, then they sent some of the Pharisees and the Herodians to Jesus to trap him in his words. Uh, these two groups of people were there to trap him. They were there to try and corner him, to make him mess up. And, and not only that, it says they were sent, right? Like these people were trying to get Jesus in trouble. But what's in, interesting is that they were actually enemies who were willing to work together to try and defeat this common enemy. 
You see, the Pharisees, they were all about defending the Jewish law and making sure that things were fair, you see. That's how you remember what a Pharisee is. Pharisee, they wanted to make sure that things were fair, you see. And so they were all about defending the Jewish law. They were kind of on the, the spiritual side. They didn't want anything, you know, uh, just this morning, Rosemary Colvin walked in and she was talking about fall break and, you know, people being on vacation. And she was like, well, back in the old days, it's like, how old? No, I didn't ask her that. She said, back in the old days, if you went on vacation and you went to another church, she said, I would have to take my bulletin and give it back to my church. I was like, wow, I might be in some trouble, Jesus. <laughs> But, uh, but the Pharisees, that might have been the way that they thought, right? Like everything was about being fair, you see, doing the right thing. Well, the Herodians on the other side, uh, they were kind of all about supporting and defending Herod, the king, the political side of things. And so here you have, uh, might you say, church and state, two groups coming together to try and trap Jesus in his words. And when they ask him this question about taxes, they knew already that they disagreed on the answer. And they wanted Jesus to pick sides, to slip up, to lose his integrity, to give up the honor and respect that he had earned among the people. If he would just let his integrity slip, then both groups would be better off, right? They would have this common enemy. Same is true for the Sadducees that we see in the second little story. The Sadducees were sad, you see. That's how you remember what That's cheesy, I know, but you all learned this in Sunday school, and you remember it forever. The Sadducees were sad, you see, because they didn't believe in resurrection. They didn't believe that anybody could be dead and then alive, so they were very sad, you see. So when life was over, life was over. And uh, they came to try and disprove Jesus' theological ideas. They, they came to get into a debate about what the Word really said. They wanted him to to look illogical and, and not very smart. So what does this have to do with us? What, what, when we think about the issues in this moment in time where these groups of men are coming to try and trap Jesus in his words to get him to, to you know, give up some integrity, to maybe get a little angry, um, what, what does that have to do with us? Well, there's a plethora of issues, right, in our world, in our culture, which we can mention we can kind of talk about or talk around, but we, but we really struggle to engage the conversation and figure out how we talk about those things in a healthy way. We either can't hear the other side or we're angry that they are issues at all, or, or maybe we just aren't willing to give up our own comfort to, to meet people in their discomfort. And so we have issues like the dress, that, okay, it's kind of a fun little nitpicky thing, but then we've taken our model for talking about the dress and friendly banter, and we've tried to apply it to these issues that are much more serious. I'm just going to say, like, four things, and I can, like, watch the blood boil as I go, right? Like, Colin Kaepernick. Oh, oh, look. <laughs> Black Lives Matter. Separation of families, refugee families at the border, right? And I could go on, right? like it, but it's not worth it at this moment. What often happens too often in, in these things is we care about these things for a weekend. We, we search the internet, we search Twitter, we watch our favorite news outlet, the one that we prefer, for a weekend. And we kind of figure out what we think we believe on it. And then we just brush it off as another argument, like the dress, right? And, and we forget that there are real people in these issues. 
And what's so interesting about these two stories here in the middle of Mark, in the middle of this week between Jesus coming in and being heralded as the king and then being hung on the cross, what's so interesting in the middle of these things is that the Pharisees, the Herodians, the Sadducees, they're there just trying to prove their points, to win their argument, and they're forgetting that there's people on the other side of these arguments. But Jesus, but Jesus, and being God is able to, to think about these things, to, to bring in the conversation and remind people of, of the fact that there are people behind all of these questions. You know, we all, I hope, set out to be the person that does the right thing, that lives with integrity. We, we hope to maintain our integrity in a fierce world. But all of us have likely watched as people's integrity have gone up in flames, sometimes our own. But somehow in this moment where Jesus is being attacked, where they're trying to trap him, he maintains his integrity. And not only does he maintain his integrity, we read in verse 17 that they were utterly amazed at him. So in a moment where they're trying to get him to slip up, to mess up, to do the wrong thing, he actually ends up on the other side of it, and, and they're amazed at who he is and how he handles the situation. Isn't that what we would want? Imagine if each of us in this place could begin to dialogue, to engage in uh, conversation with people in our lives and in our world in such a way that they said, wow, I'm not sure how they did that. I'm not sure how they processed that. I'm not sure what they're doing, but I'm amazed at the way that they're thinking about what's happening. You know, losing our integrity, uh, I, I think many of us think that it's often just blowing up. But losing our integrity can happen both by overreaction and underreaction. Many of us can maybe think of uh, an easy story of overreaction. Losing my cool in a he said, she said battle with my kids. If you have more than one kid, you can relate. If you don't, you can just try to empathize with my pain for a moment, right? They come downstairs. Dad, he did this. Yeah, but Dad, she did this. And you don't really know what happened. And you let him go back and forth for a minute, and then you're like, enough. Like, you just blow up. Everybody's in timeout. Nothing good for the rest of the day, right? What, like, you just lose your cool. You, there's no way to maintain your integrity in that situation, I'm convinced. Overreaction is one way to, to lose your integrity, but there's also underreaction. I remember in my first ministry, uh, there was a family. They had one kid. He graduated out of the ministry and, and went to college. And in his first semester in college, he began dating a girl. And so these parents came in. And I, I love these parents. It was a great family. And they sat down in my office and they said, Blake, we've got an issue. Okay. And they began to share the story of their son going away to college, which you know, I knew. We kind of walked through this journey already. And they said, well, here's the problem. Our son has started dating a girl and she's black. Okay. we don't think he should be dating someone who's black. Oh. They didn't train me how to deal with that kind of thing. So we just began to talk, and I just tried to listen, I, and I really didn't even know what to say to them. And, and I expressed to them that, that I, I wasn't really sure that there was anything that was wrong with that. But regardless, I wasn't 
I didn't feel like I was in a place to, to call him, right? Like, I definitely didn't feel that. I wasn't going to call him and have a conversation about not dating this girl because she was black. And as I've looked back on that situation over time, I realized that I lost a little bit of integrity in that situation, not because I didn't call him, but because I didn't take the time to sit down and, and share with those parents why what their, like, they, like why their attitude about that situation was sinful and wrong. How they valued that young lady less than God did. And so sometimes we don't lose our integrity by overreaction. Sometimes we lose our integrity by underreaction. And to me, that is the miracle of, of what Jesus does in this passage. Why can't we why can't we maintain this balance as humans? Why do we struggle to maintain integrity in this world that's so crazy and chaotic? I think this passage gives us three reasons maybe uh, that we can look at and we can begin to ask ourselves, man, is this me? Number one is that we'd rather fight to be right than face being wronged. We'd rather fight to be right than face being wrong. Verse 15, Jesus, uh, you know, I, I love how Mark gives us this insight. It says, but Jesus, knowing their hypocrisy, knowing their hypocrisy. Jesus knows. He knew that what was going on in their hearts and minds was wrong, that they were just trying to pick a fight. And so he, he begins by asking the question, why are you testing me? You know, it's kind of like those moments where you show up late for an event, or maybe you show up late for family Christmas. For me, when we show up late, I'd rather have a fight with Caitlin right there in front of everybody than walk in and be embarrassed. So like, I'll be like, well, it's Caitlin's fault that we, and I'm like knowing that she's like, no, that's not fair, right? We'd rather uh, fight to be right than face being wrong. We can't maintain our integrity when we're more concerned about proving that it's someone else's fault. We can't maintain our integrity when we're more concerned about ensuring that people see us as the victim, explaining that we wouldn't be here if it weren't for my spouse or for my kid and what they did. We can't maintain our integrity when we're more concerned about maintaining our stronghold on the systems that helped us get to where we are, no matter how one-sided they are. We can't maintain our integrity when we're more concerned about figuring out who to blame it on instead of simply owning what we can. One of the reasons that we don't maintain our integrity to be able to speak into our world and our situations and to, to bring the gospel into that is because we'd rather fight to be right than face being wrong. But Jesus gives us a couple of other reasons in the Sadducees, and he says in verse 24, isn't this the reason why you're mistaken? You don't know the scriptures or the power of God. You don't know the scriptures. I'm, I'm like challenged and convicted by our kiddos and the way they told those stories today. It's incredible. Psalm 119.11 says, I have treasured your word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. I've treasured your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. And, and so often we want the output without the input. We desire to be good people who don't sin, but we don't want to take the time to put the word in. There was some research done by Lifeway. Uh, we got a graphic to show that helps us understand this. So the question was, how much of the Bible have you personally read? And it was a really interesting question because so many people felt like they were engaging the Bible you know, they felt like they valued the Bible, but then when they began to ask practical, like, execution application questions, that it wasn't really there. So there's all kinds of things that you can maybe, points that you can make off of this, but 
one I'll, I'll make is this. More than half, right? Like if you look at the right half, more than half people have, led rest, have read less than half of the Bible. And I don't say that like, I mean, I, I'm, I'm just as challenged by this as you are. So this isn't one of those things. It's just this interesting observation that, you know, we say as Christ followers that we want to read the Bible and maybe we read a, the verse of the day or, or maybe, you know, we grab a, a tidbit here or we share the post of our friend. We say we value God's word, but more than half of us, by research, have read less than half of it. We don't know the story. We don't know scripture. You know, it's really interesting what we do to ourselves when we want to put off as though we know something, but we don't really know it. We begin to divert. I think about um, one uh, instance that I do this all the time. Uh, how many of y'all have read Harry Potter? A few? All right, it's getting old. Good, I'm not alone. I haven't read it either. I haven't read it either, but it was really interesting because a lot of people that I'll have conversations with love Harry Potter. And so they'll be like, have you read Harry Potter? And I'm like, no. But my brother has. And I tell him this amazing story because my brother is a huge Harry Potter fan. And every time a new book came out, he would reread the entire series. So like the first book he's read like seven times. I don't know, you know, like, he's like, it's huge. And so I would always tell that story to divert away from the fact that I didn't really know anything about Harry Potter. The funny thing is that I think many times we end up doing that about Scripture. We want to talk about a hard issue, right? We want to talk about race. We want to talk about refugees. We want to talk about how we handle our money. We want to talk about how we parent. We want to talk about a lot of things that happen in our daily lives. And we want to talk as though we know what the Bible says about those things. More than half of us haven't read half of it. And so we just divert. We go to practical wisdom. We, we go to what our friend said. We don't know the scriptures and when we don't know the scriptures, we can't maintain our integrity. We end up faking our understanding of who God is. We divert to stories or issues that pick a fight and get people focused on something else. We don't know the right thing to do because we can't consider what to do in light of God's word. But he says there's one more thing that we don't know, and that's the power of God. He says you don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. For the Sadducees... This was specifically the power of God to raise people from the dead. They didn't know that power. You see, the Sadducees, they held fast to what they call the books of the law, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And in their mind, this was a reasonable argument. Follow the Ten Commandments, live a good life, and you've completed your purpose. Nothing else mattered. And in arguing for that, they had lost sight of the power of God. They didn't believe that God was powerful enough to resurrect people because God had already done his thing. It was done. It was over. He had done enough. Research. There's been some research done. This is cool stuff. It suggests that humans are actually at their most reasonable when they are arguing, when they're picking positions that are easier to defend from criticism and thinking over each choice and word more carefully. In other words, we kind of decide what we think about God, and then we just stay there, and we limit and don't know his power. Our minds seem to deploy reason as a weapon and a way of defeating another person, and that actually can blind us to the truth. So we, we can't maintain our integrity when we don't know the power of God because we have no respect for the one who makes us worthy in the first place. 
We don't know the power of God because we've become too prideful in our ability to reason away our need for the power of God. See, these things that Jesus is pointing out about the Pharisees and the Herodians and the Sadducees, we just look at it and we see it in a vacuum. We're like, man, those poor people. But when we really begin to break it down, we begin to see that we're a whole lot like, like we're more like these people than we think. And just like they weren't maintaining their integrity, they were out to defeat Jesus, we struggle to do the same. There's no way for us to continually maintain our integrity in this convoluted, divided, bloodthirsty world. Instead, we end up just like them. Liars, fakes, hypocrites, and arrogant jerks who don't have a leg to stand on when we're talking about things that really matter, things that involve people's lives. So how in the world did Jesus do it, right? How did he maintain his integrity, and how did that integrity then upset the injustice that was happening in his day and age? And how can we join him and do it through him? Jesus did it by reminding each person that day who was there listening and engaging in this conversation, he reminded them who created them. Watch this. Jesus knows their hypocrisy, right? We, we talked about that. And he knows yours and mine too. He knows the awful things that you thought about other people. He knows the things that you did in secret this week that weren't right. He knows how you're working the system to get what you want. And he knew those Pharisees and Herodians and that they were doing it too. And as he knows that, he asks for a coin. And he holds it up, and he looks at it, and he asks this huge question. Whose image and inscription is this? It's Caesar's. Give to Caesar's the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. Do you see the logic? If it has Caesar's image on it, give it to him. And thus, if it has God's image on it, give it to God. What is it that bears the image of God in this world? You see, in this story, in that moment in time, the Pharisees and the Herodians bore the image of God. They were created in his image. But today, it's us. It's you. It's me. Every single creative person is, is created to bear the image of God, to reflect who God, our creator, is. And each of us are called to give to God what is God's. The thing that has his image on it is ourselves, and we are called to give it to God. In that moment, Jesus maintained his integrity by reminding them of the truth that they were created in God's image. And the most important thing, the thing that brought everything else into order and justice and rightness and integrity was giving themselves to God. He doesn't undermine the political leadership of Caesar despite its brokenness. He says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. But at the same time, he calls people to something more, to someone higher. You see, it wasn't Christ's ability to reason with them that called out the injustice. It wasn't his powerful speech. It was his integrity that allowed him to call them back to who they really are, human beings bearing the image of God. So the question becomes for you and me, right? How can you and I, through Christ, maintain integrity that upsets the injustice in our world today? How can we bear the image of Christ outside of this place? Three ways to have integrity that upsets injustice that we see in this passage. Number one is this. Don't be silent. Don't be silent. Don't lose your integrity 
by not speaking to the things that are wrong in our world. Proverbs 31, 8 and 9 says this, Speak up for those who have no voice, for the justice of all who are dispossessed. Speak up, judge righteously, and defend the cause of the oppressed and needy. Ephesians 5.11 says it this way, Don't participate in the fruitless works of darkness, but instead expose them. You see, in this moment where they're trying to test him, to, to put him in a corner, Jesus could have walked away. He could have avoided the questions. He could have done anything he wanted to. But he engaged the conversation. You know, for some of us, we choose to not engage conversations that are controversial. We might feel like we don't have anything to say. We're nervous to say anything that upsets the situation. We don't know what to say. But if you don't know what to say, follow Christ's example and ask questions. But whatever you do, don't be silent. Here's what I'm saying. To put blinders on and act like everything is okay in your corner of the world is not okay. And we have a responsibility as Christians to talk about things in our community that are not okay. It's not okay that kids in our community are living in abusive homes. It's not okay that kids in our community will go hungry the next two weeks while school is out. It's not okay that we feel comfortable driving down some streets in our community and uncomfortable driving down others. It's not okay that our kids are more comfortable having conversations about race than we are as adults. Ask questions out loud to real people who are second-generation immigrants, to people who are the racial minority, to people that are misunderstood recovering addicts, to, to mistreated women. Ask questions to be able to, to empathize with them before dismissing them. And then, when given the opportunity, speak up for them. See, so often it's not about who you're against, it's who you're for, and we must be for the people who are oppressed. As parents, we have to be willing to wade into hard conversations with our kids so that they can begin to recognize injustices in our world. They see when things are wrong, and they see when you ignore it. And they need to know when things aren't right. They need to know from Scripture what is right. They're counting on you to teach them those things, to talk about them as a family. You can maintain integrity while at the same time speaking up for those facing injustice. It's hard. It forces, it requires you to focus on those who need served, but it's possible. More than possible, we don't maintain our integrity if we never speak up for people. Integrity requires us to not be silent, but it also requires us to respond with grace to the antagonist. I would love to hear Jesus' tone as he said the things that we read in this passage just to hear his voice and how he said those things. But regardless, you can tell that Jesus has grace for all three groups who challenged him. The Pharisees, he could have called them out on being too focused on the rules. The Herodians, he could have punished them for turning Herod into an idol. Uh, the Sadducees, he could have just, I don't know, punched them square between the eyes for suggesting that he didn't actually bring Lazarus back from the dead or that he wasn't powerful enough to come back to life himself. But instead, he goes with their talking points. He challenges, no doubt. But he has grace for these guys that were coming to try and mess him up. They wanted to force him into a mistake, into a failure, and he responds so gracefully. I'm reminded of the words of Paul to a guy that he was training up in Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 23 through 25 says this. It maintains that tension of grace and truth. Reject foolish and ignorant disputes because you know that they breed quarrels. The Lord's servant must not quarrel, but must be gentle to everyone, able to teach and patient instructing his opponents 
with gentleness. Perhaps God will grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of the truth. Grace and truth. So we can't be silent. We have to respond with grace to our antagonists. Perhaps most important, though, is to make sure that your relationship with Christ is alive, not dead. So challenging how this passage ends. The Sadducees have come. They've brought this case, this, this hypothetical situation of, of, that reflected back to the Old Testament law, like what happens, what happens, what happens in the resurrection if, if all these husbands, like, like we don't believe in the resurrection, kind of got a little smile on their face because they think, ah, we've got him cornered. He can't answer this question. And he comes all the way back to 27, verse 27, his last statement to them, and he says, this God, right? God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are sadly, badly mistaken. Can you imagine being a Sadducee in that moment? Jesus Christ looking you in the eye and saying, you are badly mistaken. Something scary about being a Sadducee. There's something scary about not believing in the power of God. I think there's something scary in trying to answer the question whether we're alive or dead in Christ. You know, when we think about these arguments and how we're going to engage and, and what kind of conversations we have and how we talk about things with grace and truth and how we talk to people that we disagree with, there's this, there's this question that lurks in the back of our minds that we don't want to admit is there. The question is, what if I'm wrong? What if I'm wrong? And so to defend against that question, we, we put up a bigger front. We talk louder, we get angrier. We come up with more points to support our side of the argument. But here's what's amazing. If we are alive in Christ, being wrong loses its threat of killing us. If, if I'm alive in Christ, I don't have to kill others to maintain my life. Christ lives in me. He gives me life. And so the question that each of us has to answer as we think about how we engage is, are you alive in Christ? Because if you are, You've been given everything you need to engage grace and truth through him. Ephesians 2, 1 through 5 talks about this mystery of being dead and then alive that we saw depicted in Andrea's baptism today. It says, And you are dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously lived according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children under wrath as the others were also. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. Are you really alive in Christ? Are you really alive in Christ? We may come up with a quick answer, but I bet the Sadducees did too. <laughs> right? Yes, we're doing the right thing. We're doing the right thing. And Christ says, ah, oh, but you are badly mistaken. You don't know the scriptures. You don't know the power of God. Are you really alive in Christ? Only he can take what is wrong about you and make it right. Only he can give you life. You bear his image. 
the only way to live is to die to yourself so that you can reflect his image. This morning, I want to close a little bit differently than I usually do. In the Bible app or on the screen, we're going to have Psalm 141. Psalm 141 is just a, a prayer that David wrote. And I just want to read that together as our prayer. And the band's going to come and, and we're going to sing. We're going to take the Lord's Supper. Uh, when we take the Lord's Supper, it's just a reminder of what Christ did for us to make us alive. He died himself to give us life. We take a piece of the bread and we dip it in the juice to remember that Christ's body was broken. His blood was shed as he was nailed to the cross so that we could live forever. Maybe you've never made the decision to follow Christ. Maybe you thought you were doing things right and you realized this morning that you're badly mistaken. I'd love to just meet with you, learn your story. I'll be in the back as we sing and as we respond. This morning to close, I want to read Psalm 141. Let that be our prayer to him as we continue in our worship. David writes, Lord, I call on you. Hurry to help me. Hurry to help me. Listen to my voice when I call on you. May my prayer be set before you as incense, the raising of my hands as the evening offering. Lord, set up a guard for my mouth. Keep watch at the door of my lips. Don't let my heart turn to any evil thing or perform wicked acts with men who commit sin. Don't let me feast on their delicacies. Let the righteous one strike me. It is an act of faithful love. Let him rebuke me. It is oil for my head. Let me not refuse it. Even now my prayer is against the evil acts of the wicked. When their rulers will be thrown off the sides of the cliff, the people will listen to my words for they are pleasing. As when one plows and breaks up the soil, turning up rocks, so our bones have been scattered at the mouth of Sheol. But my eyes look to you, Lord, my Lord. I seek refuge in you. Don't let me die. Protect me from the trap they have set for me and from the snares of evildoers. Let the wicked fall into their own nets while I pass by safely. Father, that's our prayer this morning. That you would hear our cries to you. Father, for those who don't know you, I pray that you would help them to see their need for you and that you would rescue them. Father, our eyes look to you. Help us to seek refuge in you. And as we do that, we can know that we won't be trapped. <laughs> we won't be trapped by the words of those who are and looking to get a Christian on the wrong side of an argument. We won't be trapped by those who want us to take one political side or another. But we will find our si ourselves living and defined by Christ alone. Lord, we need you. We need you now. Come. Fill us, make us alive again, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you guys would stand with us and worship, um, thanks, Blake, for that message. Uh, we've got communion on either side here, and uh, if you're a baptized believer in Christ, I um, invite you to uh, take the cup, or take the bread, dip it in the cup um, while we sing this. Lord, I need you.
confess Bowing here I find my rest Cause without you I'd fall apart You're the one That guides my heart Lord I need you Oh I need you Every hour I need you You're my one
Hey, would y'all join me in, uh, man, Jack and Ruby, look at you guys, look at you guys. Thank you, thank you guys for leading us, and um, they're, this is, they're new up here on Sunday mornings, but they're old pros, they've been leading uh, for students, and so, uh, Jack, I'm going to tell one story on you, because I, actually, I'm going to tell two stories on you quickly. <laughs> So, Jack, uh, how long ago has it been since we did sardines? I tried to get him to eat sardines on stage, and he wouldn't do it during a sermon illustration. But that's stuck, so I just pretty much call him sardines. Uh, you ended up eating one, right? He ended up trying a sardine. I was pretty impressed. He's like, it was actually okay. You're, you're crazy. You're crazy. Uh, but I love Jack, man. A couple weeks ago when he was starting to, to leave worship with students, uh, he came up to me. I was like, man, I heard you're leading worship tonight. He goes, man, I'm nervous. He's like, I can only play one song with my eyes closed. I was like, bro, <laughs> it's okay. You're doing great. And so um, just to see, uh, see how God's using you, it's good, man. Keep following the Lord. And uh, same to you, Miss Ruby. All right. Very good. Um, hey, a couple next steps quickly. Um, there's only, I think, four seats left for our Equip Identity class. Uh, so there's a link to that, leftshotville.com slash equip, or it's in the Bible app. Um, and so if you were thinking, ah, maybe I want to do that, four spots. So get in quickly on that. That's going to be good. Those two, that's a two-week class, October 28th and November 4th. Okay. If you're looking for a group, there's a, a form in there. If you're new with us today, we want to get you a T-shirt, uh, find a way we can get with you later in the week to learn your story. Kenny will be at the coffee bar, and you can do that. All right. And uh, last but not least, if you're staying for 101 um, for our lunch and learn today, uh, I'll meet you over here in this corner up by the Love People sign, and we'll get some lunch and get class started, all right? So uh, let me pray for us. If you're in Shelby County, have a great first week of fall break, and we'll see you all next week, all right? Oh, one more thing, next week, uh, special treat, Justin Ross from Sparrow Missions is going to be with us, uh, founder of Sparrow Missions, so... Uh, Come, engage with that. It'll be good. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for being uh, a God of the living and not of the dead. And we pray that we would um, be in your word this week because we know it's living and active and it changes us and, and brings life to us. But we pray, God, that as we're in your word, it would move us to action in our, in our neighborhoods, in our communities, in our families. Uh, God, we pray that we would be people that that love people in a way that makes people amazed. We pray that we would love our community in ways that people stand back and they're saying, man, what is it about them? How do they continue to love in grace and truth? And we can say only by the grace of Jesus. And, and so, God, we pray that that Jesus uh, who lives in us would empower us, uh, would continue to call us to himself, equip us for the mission he's called us to. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Go be the church.
Hey, Jim. Hey, Richard. Richard. 